Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. And welcome to our Texans postgame show, Texans and Commanders. Robert Land alongside my co-host, Sports Radio 610's Sean Bajani, as usual. And if you're new to the party, we have 45 years in journalism between the two of us and over 35 years covering Houston sports. So you're in good hands. And we've seen a lot of Texans football, Sean, uh, between the two of us. You've been in some locker rooms before. I'm just curious. You just came out of the NRG Stadium locker room. You're still in the at the football stadium. What was the temperature there with the, with the team after this game? I've seen a lot of football, and I've seen a lot of more distraught locker rooms after a pitiful performance like the one we just saw today. Um, to be quite honest with you, um, you know this team this season has dealt with a lot of defeat in a, a number of ways. Uh, most of the losses this season, they've certainly at least felt a lot closer than this one did in a game in which the feeling of you being in it was never even really there. Um, I would have to tell you that, you know, and I spoke to, you know, spoke to Christian Kirksey, Titus Howard, Christian Harris, Kenyon Green, Nico Collins, Brandon Cooks, Damian Pierce, all of those guys after this game uh, today. And I'd have to say that Maybe not so surprisingly, the most frustrated any one individual seemed to be was that of Brandon Cooks. And he said after the game to me that, you know, it's just the same old thing every single week. It's the same types of issues. And, you know, I tried to get a little bit more specific with it. Well, okay, well, what kind of issues are you talking about? And, you know, they're they're not going to point fingers, even Cooks. They're not going to get into specifics. It's just the same old types of problems keep creeping up, whether that be miscommunication on routes, whether that be penalties, which there really weren't a ton of today. But, um, you know, certainly the offensive line couldn't get any kind of a push up front or establish the run game. Um, When you lose, your mind immediately goes to all of the things you could not do well. And certainly in the games in which the Texans here recently over the course of the last month have lost, the number one reason I, I think that they would give you is that their inability to really establish a run early and they're forcing themselves to have to throw the ball when they don't want to. And that's something they clearly don't do very well. It's certainly downfield. The protection wasn't there today. Uh, the run game wasn't there today. The communication between Davis Mills and his receivers, who he was off with a number of times, including Cooks, including Collins, um, wasn't there again today. And Lovey Smith, again, reiterated after the game today that there is no change forthcoming at the quarterback position, but did seem to, if you read between the lines, indicate that they would look at it. They would consider it as he laid a pretty blanket statement across the board that they're always looking to consider any changes that would help the team and give them the best chance to win. He told us this last week that Davis Mills gives him the best chance to win a football game. I wonder if he still thinks that. Sean, this is a pathetic product they're putting on the field right now. And it it seems like instead of a team getting better, it looks like a team regressing as far as I'm concerned. Regressing as as far as the coaching, the mistakes, the plain as day mistakes. Uh, Guys are not getting better, it seems. They're they're getting worse in many ways. Um, Outside of maybe run defense, which is a little bit better in this game than we've seen in the past. And that's why, you know, you you just thought Lovey's going to get a couple of years. There's not enough talent here. All of that sort of thing, Sean. But the way I look at it right now, 
if this thing gets out of hand and it could get out of hand very, very quickly, because you've got, and we've talked about this, you got Mahomes and Dak Prescott and Deshaun Watson and Tua and the Dolphins offense all coming in the next four weeks. This could turn into a disaster. The commander's offense behind Taylor Heineke, the former Texan. I can't believe that that guy is still hanging around. He looked like some scrub on the Texans just a few years ago under Bill O'Brien. But boy, I mean, that guy is not exactly the greatest quarterback. And now you've got like, like real offenses coming in with real quarterbacks. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right about it getting out of hand. You know, how much more could it possibly get out of hand? Look, we could see a lot more games like this. And yeah, you talk about a more competent, uh, well-rounded quarterback. You've got a string of those guys that you're going to see over the course of the next month plus. And so, yeah, I mean, could we see more lopsided games? And is that going to continue to eat at this Texans team and build up the frustration that has clearly already been in existence over the course of the last month, month and a half in itself? Sure, absolutely. And really, that's what it's all about, because while, you know, it kind of falls on deaf ears for me with all the discussion about changing a quarterback, it's like, well, who cares? It doesn't matter. You could change a quarterback if you want to. It does not matter. It will not help you win more ball games. Now, the Texans certainly, if they made a change at quarterback, they might look a little bit more like they did earlier in the season where they're a little bit more sound offensively, where you have a guy, maybe Kyle Allen coming in, who is naturally going to be more aggressive, playing with a little bit more juice because, you know, he's trying to make a name for himself. He's trying to, um, you know, flash a little bit and play his best. And um, I, I think, you know, for honestly, the style of offense that Pep Hamilton wants to call and has called Allen's probably a better fit but it's not going to matter at the end of the day because this team just simply is not a good one there are there are many more glaring holes than just that of the quarterback and the defense again today while miraculously really as bad as this team looks Robert they still the defense only gave up 16 points they only gave up 16 points you'll take that every single time 16 points 100 percent but are they imposing their will? Are they playing aggressive football? Are they making it look good? Do they strike fear in the eyes of the opponent? Absolutely not. Do they create turnovers? Are they scoring points on defense? All this BS that Lovey Smith says this defense is capable of and that they want to do, well, they're not doing it. And, yeah, it, it has all the potential in the world to get uglier and uglier and uglier over the course of the next month. The most interesting thing to me is continuing to have that Focus on the vibe and the message coming from the locker room because there there's a good mix of young and veteran in this locker room, and we're going to just see exactly, you know, how well these veterans like Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, Christian Kirksey, I mean, you go up and down the line, really are able to, I think, take these guys underneath their wing and continuing to have them play for themselves, you know, looking at themselves in the mirror and say, what can I do? That was really the message today. What can I do to get better? Kenyon Green. What can I do to get better? Uh, Christian Harris. What can I do to get better? Christian Kirksey. What can I do to get better? Damian Pierce. Across the board, Robert, um, at the end of the day, maybe it's not necessarily about what can I do, but what can we do? That's a big difference, and I think that's something that needs to be discussed. We got a lot to talk about. Um, I'm going to get to more of it, but I just want to remind everybody to subscribe, 
like and comment on YouTube. We want to hear questions or comments if you're live with us right now. So let me hear from you. The good news for the Texans, and there is good news, the Browns lost again. They're now three and seven. Their draft picks matter to the Texans this year, uh, both in the first round and beyond the first round. And you got to hope that they lose as many as possible before Deshaun comes back in a couple of weeks. And they are losing right now without Deshaun. Um, also, make a note that I am doing a special show tomorrow on Monday with the host of the NFL Draft Prospects podcast, Joe DeLeon. Guess what we're going to talk about? We're talking about quarterback prospects for the Texans like Bryce Young. Subscribe on YouTube and your favorite audio platform so you don't miss it. It's a massive decision, Sean, for this franchise in, in a few months that they're going to have for a quarterback. So uh, trust me, you, you're going to want to listen to this one and we're going to have future ones. I'm going to try to get more people to talk about the quarterback situation. So yeah, the Texans on the field may not be boring, Sean, but the Texans with the draft and what's going on leading up to this draft. And, and they look like they're locking in the number one overall pick to, to pick the guy that they want. I mean, I, I just, I have a hard time seeing that they're going to win many more games this year. So I think that's, this is a big one. Yeah. Uh, you know, even if they do kind of luck into one or two, uh, I still think it's going to be good enough to, to have the pick of the litter of who they want because the draft capital is, is so wealthy. Um, so prominent with what they have at their disposal. They'll get who they want, where they want them, I think, at the end of the day. The question is just going to come down to, is it the right guy? Is it the right fit? Is it? And if it's a quarterback, if it's C.J. Stroud, if it's Bryce Young, to me it can really only be between one of those two guys um, in April of 2023, then is that are, are one of those guys the right guy um, to build your franchise around going forward. That's, that is the multi-million dollar question for this organization. And it's one I really, I, I find fascinating and I can't really wait to get to at that point because that in itself, Robert, we've seen it happen before with Deshaun Watson. It wasn't that long ago. It seems like a decade ago. It seems like longer than that. Sometimes when you're in the midst of watching you know, crap like we did today on the field, but he did exactly that. He completely turned his franchise upside down in a good way and gave this city a lot of juice, a lot of hope for even just a brief flash in the pan in 2017. We thought we were entering the golden era of Houston sports, not just the Houston Astros, which continue to be that gold standard. But uh, this franchise will one day be back again right there. You just really don't know who it's going to be built around at this point in time. So I'm looking yeah. forward to those interviews. Yeah, remember that in that draft, they didn't have a top pick. They moved up to the 12th pick to yeah. get Deshaun Watson. And if they did have a top two or three pick, we might be talking about Patrick Mahomes right here in Houston. So think about that. And, and I'm going to go over a few possessions from this game, Sean. But trust me, we're not going to bore everybody with a ton of specifics after the first few possessions. But I just want to get a couple things out of the way. Because the first commander's possession, second play of the game, Jalen Petrie drops an easy interception. I'm going to get back to Jalen in just a bit. But the D get a three and out. Second play of the game for the Texans offense. Davis Mills throws a pick six. And, Sean, this was Matt Schaub-esque. It's, it's only fitting that we say Matt Schaub-esque throw in a year where it looks like this could be the worst season since that Matt Schaub pick six season when they were two and 14. He stares right at Brandon yeah. Cooks and just telegraphs it. 
Yeah, uh, me and Seth Payne were actually just uh, moments ago looking over and over and over again at that play in particular, and we're trying to figure out uh, what Mills was doing there, what what really was supposed to happen. And, you know, after re-watching that thing about four, five, six times, uh, we noticed a lot on that play. And, sure, uh, Davis Mills stared a freaking laser hole right through Brandon Cooks. And we thought, all right, well, maybe this is something – that is a tendency that the Redskins picked up on um, when they're bringing five, the Texans maybe don't throw the ball deep, but it looked like cooks was supposed to continue his route. So the ball was not supposed to be uh, thrown where it was by Davis mills, which caused uh force to undercut that and return it for six. Maybe that was supposed to be another play similar to the one that we'd saw a couple of weeks back, which I think in fact went to, it was either OJ Howard or Jordan Aikens, that little floater. Uh, over the head of the uh, defensive back then, which was a beautiful pass, touch pass for Davis Mills at the time. Maybe it was something that was drawn up like that, and Mills or Cooks got confused on the exact route. It, it wouldn't have mattered. You needed a little bit more time. Kenyon Green completely left the B-gap wide open, went over to help Laramie Tunsil uh, with the edge rusher, which allowed um, – uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't Ridgeway this time, but it was the other uh, defensive tackle who Kenyon Green was on for much of the day to come right through and ended up knocking uh, Mills down on that play. There was a lot of things going on in that instance. And you talk about the way that this team began the game. You dropped an interception, you threw an interception, uh, you had an illegal shift on offense, and it was just absolute disaster um, and an abomination. Uh, this that was like a micro that wasn't even a microcosm of this team this season. That was just that was almost as egregious as a team coming off of a two minute morning, not having offensive play, and then having to spend a timeout in a late game situation. This start by the Houston Texans today was way worse than all of that combined. It was just it, 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 it highlights a lack of preparation, a lack of focus, a lack of killer instinct, a lack of aggressiveness. Because we forget this organization is tanking, not the players on the field. And that right there should go to show you just how bad of a product that this. Well, week in and week out, you said preparation. This is, you know, except for the Eagles game when they went down and scored a touchdown, they just don't look prepared. It looks like they come out of the box and have no idea what they're going to do. They make a mistake. It seems like inevitably two or three mistakes in the first three plays Every single solitary game. And I just want to point out that there's four quick punts from both teams in the next few possessions. The commanders look like they hadn't seen the film of the Texans. This could have been a lot worse, Sean, early in the game, because instead of running the ball down the Texans throats, they start off passing and trying misdirection and side to side runs. And, you know, I'm just amazed, Sean, at how dumb NFL coaches could be. It's like I go on other podcasts every week and people are like, hey, can you come on and talk about the Texans? And they ask me, well, what's going to happen? And I said, well, if you're dumb, you won't run the ball in the first half like most of these coaches. But in the end, they all do it by the second half because they finally figure out the Texans can't stop it. And you don't have to run side to side and you don't have to run misdirections. You just run the ball right up the gut and the Texans can't stop them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, look, it, you can't say that this team isn't preparing or is not prepared. They're prepared. There's no question about that. I mean, there there are some smart guys in the locker room and I, I think there are some diligent workers throughout. However, you can be as prepared as you possibly can be for the wrong thing. 
And I, I think, you know, we ask Lovey all the time. And, look, he's a master deflector, um, refuses to get into any specifics about anything or anybody. But it's pretty clear that he doesn't pay a whole lot of attention to the analytics side of things, the hard numbers. His, and, and that should be pretty telling to you. And I wrote an article about it this week. Lovey Smith isn't going to make a change at quarterback unless, you know, Davis Mills is injured or he's hurt it, because he knows exactly who Davis Mills is. He knows exactly the type of situation that he has under his control to some degree. This is Nick Casario's baby. This is his plan, and it's working beautifully. Lovey Smith just has to be the guy to go up there and answer the tough questions. Pep Hamilton, same deal. Davis Mills, same deal. Getting paid a lot of money to answer some really not so difficult questions, you know, a couple of three times a week. And so, sure, it's more than, you know, uh, enough of their time, you know, they're getting paid for. They, he, they know exactly what's going on. It's just you would expect the level of preparation to be a little bit more accurate at this point in time of the season than it has been. And we see elements of it here and there, but this fine line that people talk about in the NFL between really good and average or even bad, this damn line is getting thicker and thicker. The Houston Texans will show you that week in and week out. Yeah, I'm going to talk about preparation. I'm, I'm going to get to something that happened at the end of the first half in just a bit. But on the Texans' fourth possession, they finally get a first down, but then on third and seven, Mills sacked after Kenyon Green gets bulldozed. Just a disastrous day for Green. And this is what I want to get to, Sean, because Green had multiple holding calls. He's either getting bulldozed or whiffing on defensive linemen. Sean, I'm getting very depressed about the Texans' rookies. Petrie and Green regressing big time, like I said off the top. Stingley was out with a hamstring after, after his history of injuries at LSU. That's got to worry you a little bit. Ugh, this is not good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not going to worry about Stingley until I have to. Um, there's really no sense in pushing pushing it with any of these guys, especially one of your you know uh, rookies that have shown as much promise as Derek Stingley. You know, who's to say that if the Texans were actually any good, that Stingley might have been uh, able to practice this week and even play today. You know, but there's no reason to push it. So you're going to be extra precautious with him. I have no problem with that. The problem is with Jalen Petrie and Kenyon Green in particular, those two guys over the course of the last few weeks, they've hit the rookie wall. And I heard somebody say, and I laughed out loud in the elevator on the way down to the locker room today. Yeah, they've hit the rookie wall and the wall fell on their ass. You know, that's kind of been the case right now. It's so true. Yeah, it's 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 been bad. Um, the, the commanders go eight plays, 75 yards after that. It's 14, nothing. Then the Fox TV crew starts pointing out how Taylor Heineke, Sean was anticipating receivers while Davis Mills can't do that. And that's kind of a bad sign when your QB is failing the Taylor Heineke comparison test. Taylor Heineke is getting, you know, all the love and, and Davis Mills is not. <laughs> I lost your audio. Are you there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. I got you now. Okay. Yeah. Well, look, the commanders are now five and one in their last six games and Heineke has been there for a large portion of that. And so, you know, rightfully so they're going to get a lot of that attention because 
Looks like I lost you again. We'll see if I can pick you up in a second. But uh, let me just. Can you I'll, hear me now? Yeah, I, I I got you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I'm just. I was just going to say. Look, they've undergone this turnaround, which has not been surprised. Yeah, things going about as well as the Texans. <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully, we'll get him back in a second. He he keeps freezing up. But Texans with another three and out, couple more sacks. Kenyon Green's Kenyon Green whiffs on his guy on yet another play that he's got, and the Commanders get a couple more field goals in the first half. The Texans with five total yards, five in the first half. And Sean, this was a game that makes me start to wonder about Lovey losing the team because. On one of Washington's field goal attempts, the Texans have an illegal formation. You mentioned the illegal formation on the offense early in the game. It's just basic stuff. And, you know, this is focus, and this is the type of stuff that, you know, if, if Lovey's going to win because of lack, lack, lose because of lack of talent, that's fine. And I get it. There's a lot of young guys on this team. But, I mean, this is stuff that if this was happening to a college coach with freshmen, you still wouldn't be happy about it. I mean, this is – it's it's really looking rough. And, and, it, and to get rougher – halfway through the season is not is not is not a positive sign for Levy Smith. Yeah. You mentioned something there and I kind of want to retract one of my previous statements when I said there will not be a change at quarterback on this team unless Davis Mills is hurt. You know, one of the key elements I think that you just reminded me of there is trying to keep this team intact. Um you know, in 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 having that message, that positive message that Levy Smith is trying to reiterate each and every day, each and every week, regardless of these losses stacking up, is you don't want any negativity emanating from that locker room and making its way into the public. But if it starts to creep out, if there's even a hint that Lovey feels like he might be losing this team, that guys aren't bought in, then I could see a change at quarterback if, in fact, there's uh, reason for such. If, if, in fact, what I mean by is if, if, if the players unrest – emanates from what they're seeing in practice from Kyle Allen, where it becomes clear to them that he's better than Davis Mills and that he deserves playing time at a point, then I could see a change there. And we may not be a couple of short weeks uh, from a decision like that. So yeah, let's keep an eye on it. But if you think for one second that they're going to change the quarterback because they think that they could win more games, um, outright and finish on this great run with anybody no the troubles stem far beyond just quarterback and I think that would be a move that would prove exactly just that to the other 52 guys in that locker room if in fact a changeover was made I want to go to something that happened at the end of the game because this is just as a fan you're like okay if we're gonna lose let's that's fine but if you're not going to try, that's a whole other thing. And fans pay good money to go see four quarters of an NFL football game. And in the fourth quarter, when you're just going down the field, taking your sweet time, this team looks like it doesn't know how to run and either it doesn't know or doesn't care about running a different pace of offense when you're behind in games. You know, just letting the clock tick off. You're down by 20 points. There's six minutes to go. You can say, well, this is the Texans. They can't come back. But this is the NFL. We've seen stranger things happen. This is football. You don't know. It's a three-possession game at that point still. You know, you've got timeouts. You've got other things. I mean, Sean, this is what I can't stand. It's the lack of not seeing anything that looks like a team that's trying to win a game. 
throw the ball down the field. Like there's, there were times in this game where Davis had all sorts of time. He could have thrown the ball. I understand the offensive line sucked at times, but there were times where Davis took some sacks that were just coverage sacks because he just wouldn't get rid of the football. You can max protect occasionally and throw the ball down the field. I keep talking about this, but I'm tired of talking about it because they don't change anything. And, you know, the other part about this is, you know, we see week in and week out where it's just the, the screen passes where they throw it a, a, a quick screen pass and it goes nowhere. It's like the other team knows the kind of screen passes that the Texans run. There's never anything as far as a variation on the screen passes. It's the same thing, and it, it goes nowhere every single time. I've never seen a team this incompetent consistently at running a screen pass, either with, with your throwing a quick pass or they had one pass, one where they tried to do a little delay to, to Damian Pierce and – Kenyon Green was caught downfield because Davis Mills couldn't get rid of the ball because Pierce wasn't there. I mean, it's this this consistent lack of even trying something new, even the hurry up offense, do it. Don't wait till it's in the, in in the fourth quarter and you've got to do it. Even then they wouldn't do it all the way. It was like they were, they were hedging their bets. Yeah. And I saw your tweet, you know, look, you're not going to run an up-tempo offense and then you're going to turn around on defense and, you know, spend your timeouts ahead of the two minute warning, which didn't even work anyway, because you couldn't stop from, stop them from getting a first down. Um, it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, you made a, you made a great point there and you make a great point. Now it's just, it just comes down to what they know Davis Mills doesn't do very well. So they're going to try anything they possibly can to get the ball out of his hands quick and, put it into one of their best athletes' hands, whether that be Brandon Cooks on a little screen pass or Damian Pierce on a little uh, screen pass or a bubble screen or, uh, you know, a little out route for him. And they're going to make, you know, they're going to try to let those guys make plays and do what they do. I don't mind, you know, a couple of times they did it today. They run Pierce out pre-snap out wide, and he just, it's just kind of like a little stick route. He turns, opens up, and then hits the flat, and they were able to get the ball to him that way. If you're not able to run the football, if you can't get any penetration or push on that offensive line, then you want to get the ball to Damian Pierce, go ahead because you know he can make guys miss. That's what they could do, and even that wasn't enough today because their linebackers, their defensive backs and safeties, they all rallied to the football. They played inspired defensive football today, the Washington Commanders did. They're, they're a better football team by far than you are, and they've got better athletes. And with this team, I've said it time and time again, you're going to get out-athleted. Um, and it's not for a lack of trying. It's just that is who this Houston Texans team is. There's a lot of journeymen. There's a lot of youngsters. And there's a lot of just another guys on this team right now. And so you're going to get beat more times than not. But that, if Javis Mills loses his job for any one thing in particular, it's because the game is going too fast for him to process. I think that's probably the number one reason why you're not throwing the ball down the field as much is because his inability to consistently go through his progressions and throw guys open, whether it be a lack of confidence, a lack of mental fortitude, where the game is just being processed very slowly in his mind while it's being played very fast around him. He just can't do that right now. You know, over the what have people been talking about over the course of the last month? Geno Smith, it took him six, seven years before he started to be able to process the game fast enough to have success on the field. Maybe Davis Mills is just one of those guys. Maybe it never happens for him. But one thing that I think is important to note, while 
Geno Smith has been a journeyman in the NFL and, you know, had an opportunity out of a desperate situation for Seattle where they had the opportunity to give him a chance to figure stuff out. Davis Mills might, like, might not be afforded that opportunity and certainly won't be here with the state of this organization, which is in a clear systematic tank for a quarterback next year. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and we said after the Eagles game, hey, you got Davis Mills out of the pocket. That seems to be something that he's good at. And then I just feel like they haven't really gone back to that as much. There was a little bit in the Giants game, but in this game, I didn't see them try to get Davis Mills out of the pocket at all. Like, where, where is the stuff that when it works, maybe go back to it a little bit. You know, just don't give up. You know, it, it seemed like it worked in the Eagles game. It worked last year. And they don't do it. And it just, you know, that, that that's the thing. Davis Mills is not throw the ball down the field. Let's not get him out of the pocket. You know, let's let's do the same stuff every week and expect a different result. It's it's insanity. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is where I think, you know, when most coaches do do this, they they don't go back to the well near enough when certain plays work for fear of, a defense picking up on tendencies. Well, I think you give defense and players too much credit throughout the course of a game. Certainly halftime adjustments are made, um, you know, and on when your offense is able to sustain a drive, a defense is able to spend a little bit more time on that tablet and try to identify some of those tendencies, try to identify some of those personnel uh, groupings in which you might be able to correct the next time out. But, you have to try. So I, I, I am with you there 100%. I just, I, I've never understood that from a football perspective. Even when your team is good, Robert, I, I don't think teams do that enough. I mean, I can remember thinking many of those same thoughts during the Gary Kubiak years, during even the Bill O'Brien years, where it's like, my goodness, this play was just, it was money. Run the same damn thing. Just do it to the opposite side. <laughs> you know, like don't give those players so much damn credit, you know, in the course of a, you know, 30, 35 second play clock. Let's, let's just go, let's just go and try it. If it works, then fantastic. But even pre-snap motion, I don't want to hear anybody talk about pre-snap motion because even with the Texans do it, they still allow their receivers to get set on that Brandon cooks interception uh, or the, the mills interception to Brandon cooks. The first play of the game for them, it was pre-snap motion, but he, they allowed him to come set and then go your fastest player on the field, send him in pre-snap motion, out leverage the defense, throw him into space and let him try to make a guy miss and go get some yak. But they don't do that. And that is by design. And that, which by the way, tells me even more that that's probably a throw that Davis Mills should not have made, was not supposed to make. Rather, it was a bit of a stop and go, so to speak, where Cooks was supposed to, as he did continue upfield. And that's where he was anticipating the football. Mills misread that and, there, there again is another reason why we're having these conversations about Davis Mills not being good enough, not being a competent NFL quarterback in the system. Yeah, it's real frustrating to me that, okay, Davis Mills isn't any good, but you're not doing anything to help him by doing the same thing every single week, not doing the things that I think he's good at, like getting outside of the pocket. It's, sure. it's obvious. We, we've seen it over and over again. Sure. It just reminds me, I mean, I feel like I'm – watching two teams that are run by the same offense in the Rockets and the Texans. And both of them, I go, what are you guys doing? That's any different from game to game. It's the same vanilla stuff. That's not working. That doesn't seem very creative. That doesn't seem 
different that it, it, it feels like, you know, they're trying to do something from 30 years ago that we've all decided is, you know, past its prime. And it's just the same. I don't know. It's just like, it's annoying. And I mean, I get it. Both team, both teams have young players on them, but it doesn't mean you can't try. You're failing as it is. Try something harder. Try something different, please. Sure. And they've got more talent on offense than they do on defense. And how many of these guys came from a pro style offense in college? I mean, that's what the Texans are doing quite a bit here you know, running this pro-style offense instead of just spreading it out. Like, you're inviting the pressure. You're inviting an extra guy or two in the box running these two and three tight end sets. Um, you know, go figure why, why you're not able to run the football as effectively. Go figure why you're not able to uh, get the ball down the field when you're running uh, Jordan Aiken, Titus Howard, Titus Howard, O.J. Howard, uh, you know, and Quinn, uh, Tegan Quatoriano on the field at the same time with a, a Troy Harrison, like who the hell's going to get down the field in that situation on a second and long, like get out of here with that. Like put your best athletes on the field, try to take the top off of the defense and put the ball up to where only Nico Collins can get it, you know, throw Brandon cooks open, you know, in solo coverage, get Philip Dorsett, you know, to out leverage an offense with some pre-snap motion, you know, on a little five and out. You know, something like that. Like, you can't tell me that these are things that have have, have failed in practice. I, I don't believe that they're really trying to do these things. And it's just that 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 stubbornness, that hard-headedness of the offensive coordinator that really believes in their plays and really looks good on a napkin and, you know, a piece of paper when you're drawing them up in your office at 530 in the morning. But it's another thing when it looks like absolute garbage on a noon on a Sunday. This is comes back to coaching, but how hard is it to tell Davis Mills? Like, okay, he's dumb as a rock, maybe, but I don't think so. The, the, the kid went to Stanford. He's not stupid. How hard is it to tell Davis Mills, look, I want you to do this a couple of times on this play or on that play. I want you to pump it to the left and throw it to the right. For once, don't stare down the guy. Just pump fake it. I don't care if there's nobody there. Just make the safety for two seconds, or not even two seconds, two milliseconds. Look left, one play. Or how about just pump fake it once, somewhere, anywhere. Pump fake it short and go downfield. Like do some of the things that other quarterbacks do to where you're not zeroing in on exactly what they're doing. But to just every single time, it appears like, he looks left and he throws left or he looks right and he throws right. And it, it obviously, you know, what happened to, to start the game is a pick six. It's amazing. It hasn't happened more often than that. I think the only reason it hasn't happened more often than that is because he's inaccurate and he misses so bad that the defensive back or the cornerback can't make the play on it. Yeah, that's fair. You know, I think you were, you're not the first person that invoked Matt Schaub's name today that I'd heard and, you go back all those years when Matt Schaub was experiencing, you know, a pick six. What did he throw a pick six in like five or six, seven straight games? It was something like yeah. insane and predictable. Like there were prop bets on this stuff, you know, on these like Bovada gambling websites. <laughs> I remember back in the day, like you could have made some pretty good money on some of those. And yeah, we're not seeing it to that level. I really don't think that we will because he doesn't take the chances that even Matt Schaub was taking years ago. I mean, it's just, 
I feel really bad for Davis Mills, you know, to a degree that he's even in this situation, that the organization is, that, you know, you've got a, a, a coordinator and a quarterback coach who's doing something that he hadn't done at the NFL level for, you know, half of a decade. And it's just, it's just like caretaker mode, you know, for, for a lot of these position guys. And it's going to end up looking pretty decent on a resume one day because a lot of these guys will go on to different organizations, uh, whether maybe even programs in college, and they'll, they'll be very successful, you know. They'll coach for another 20, 30 years. And it's just Davis Mills, his clock is ticking. You know, he might be selling insurance five years from now. I don't know. I mean, you just kind of feel bad for a guy in this situation because whether it be, you know, a, a different situation or another organization that's rebuilding, but you've got veteran coaches – or guys that are hungry that really want to make a mark and some young innovative minds in a different system. You never know what a guy can look like. You never know what other people are capable of. And it's been, it's funny that football is just one of those positions in a sport, unlike any other, where I think that stuff matters more than anywhere else in professional sports, right time, right place, right situation. We see it all the time in particular with football. There are guys that can just make you look better than you actually are. And there are also guys that can make you look worse than you actually are. I'm going to close off with a couple of different things and try to get us out of the Texans here for a bit because we're going to have to keep talking about this team the next few weeks and we're going to say the same things. But, um, I, you know, I, I definitely want to mention the fact that the major league team for the Houston Texans, because I think they're more or less the triple A, maybe they're the double A for the Patriots. You know, we just keep getting old Patriots people and, and being sort of this like farm system or minor league farm system for the Texans. The Patriots today had a great moment, at least if you're a Houston Cougar fan, because the game's tied at three and you learn as a Cougar fan, you don't punt the ball to Marcus Jones with the game on the line. That's not a good idea. And Marcus Jones, the rookie from the University of Houston Cougars. Uh, Sean, whose house is it? Whose Coug's house? Baby. Yeah, it's it's Coog's house because he takes it 84 yards for a touchdown in the final seconds of the game. And how about this? It's the first punt return for a touchdown in the NFL this year, and it's by U of H's Marcus Jones. Congratulations wow. for that. Congratulations, Marcus Jones. Yeah, how about that? Boy, that's a, that's a good little uh stat nugget there i mean we're what 10 11 weeks into the nfl season we hadn't had a punt return for a touchdown yet i mean boy back in the day when devin hester was uh in the league i mean it was like every other week it was him or somebody else that that's kind of a crazy deal what about a kick return do you know that stat have we had a kick return for a touchdown yet that's a good question they, they, the first they, they, special teams touchdown like return I, I I can't recall one, but that doesn't it doesn't mean my memory is not that good anymore. So I don't. I don't have to look that one up. That's awesome that a Coug did it too. So sweet. Yeah, yeah, he's you know he's good. I wish the man. I wish the Texans could have got their hands on him because he'd be fun to watch. At least you'd have something to look forward to on punt returns or kick returns or something like that. Because I, I I think he's he can do that more than than just this particular game. But yeah, uh, yeah big win for the Patriots and the and what's becoming a crazier AFC East. It's not necessarily the Bills all by themselves all alone right now. The Bills pulled out that game I said with the Browns, but 
How about uh, this? You know, you're talking about the Bills. Like when Mills threw his second interception, I think it was his first or the second. I think now he's got the most interceptions in the league. I think it's 11 with that second interception. I looked up it after the first one, and he was tied with Josh Allen for the most interceptions in the entire league. And I'm like, wow, that is literally the only statistical category that you'll ever touch Josh Allen in. <laughs> and it's interceptions. I couldn't believe Allen's got freaking 10 interceptions on the year, but he's got 20 touchdowns to Mills's 10. <laughs> That's nuts. I, I, I didn't realize Josh Allen was at that point myself. So, yeah. and, 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 and it's weird because. In, in the league, it, it, that used to be a, a, a much higher stat, the interceptions. But guys have really cut that down over the years. It just seems like we don't see the big interception seasons the way we used to. And, like, the the whole offensive stats are – you go look back 20 or 30 years ago even, even that recently, and it's just a – it's like we're playing a different quarterback game back then. Oh, I did. You know, I did a piece last week. Um, it was after Mills had his 300-yard game. I think that was a week ago. Um, against the Giants. Was that against the Giants where he had the 300-yard game or maybe the week before? I can't remember now. Yeah, but, yeah, it was Giants. Giants. Um, that was the second 300-yard game of the season that he'd had, the sixth of his career. And so I was like, boy, the dude hadn't won one of those games in his two years as quarterback of this franchise. So I went all the way back to 1960. And every single 300-yard game there had been since 1960 to present day, that team has won 50% of those games. <laughs> and you can't win one for Davis Mills. And I really looked that up because we're all stuck on talking about how David, how bad Davis Mills is. My point in looking that up and finding that statistical analysis to back an argument up that says, well, it's not just about how bad Davis Mills is, but it's also just about how bad this offense is and how inopportune this defense is. And, you know, you have – you have to get help, even if your quarterback is throwing for 300 yards or 400 yards. You have to play all three phases of the game pretty well and pretty mistake-free. Um, but you also have to have two, Robert, a quarterback that can go down and get you games. Stop expecting a guy to do that when he hadn't done it before. How many game-winning drives does Davis Mills have? How many fourth-quarter comebacks does Davis Mills have? That's really what it comes down to. If you ever want to talk about like a guy having the moxie, the aggressiveness that, <clears throat> you know, that promised even continue to trot him out there and give him a chance. You have to have shown something in those situations in which he has never done. So I just thought that was a little interesting stat nugget for you there that 0 for 6 in 300 yard performances. But the overall success rate for a team over the course of the last 62 years when it's done is better than 50 percent. You're winning those games. Yeah, that's a good stat. I would imagine the winning percentage has gone down over the years because, you know, it's become easier and easier to get the 300-yard game. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's been below 50% one decade, and that was 19 in the 1970s, which was the dead ball era for throwing the football. It's when they were running amok. And I think teams still won 47% of those games when they threw for at least 300 yards. I think the highest was the 80s or 90s. They were winning at a 63% clip. So this is how depressing it was in the first half, Sean. And I, I, I want to mention this before I close out. I get a message from a, a friend of mine from college. And uh, she says this, a guy that we both mutually know, he was my old college roommate. Uh, he was actually my roommate at the very end when I was uh, just, just before 
I got my first job in the, in the television field. Uh, he, he passed away and, uh, you know, he wasn't somebody that I had kept in touch with over the last 12 to 15 years, but I just got to tell you a little bit about this guy because he used to fly all over the huge sports fan used to fly all over the country and he would for, for big games, super bowls, final fours, uh, you name it. And I went with him to the final four in San Antonio and he said, yeah, we're going to go and we'll, I'll scout the tickets. You know, we got them like day of the game and he would do this all the time. So the one time that I went to a final four, this is back in 2004, this is the Emeka Okafor, uh, UConn team, the JJ Redick Duke team, uh, the, our local, uh, John Lucas, the third was on Oklahoma state. We go to, we go to the game. He scalps tickets. I actually saw John Lucas, uh, assistant coach of the Rockets, John Lucas outside of the arena before we walked into the arena. I think right about the time we're looking to scalp, find the tickets to scalp. And, uh, so we, we, we go see that game. I went with him to a, to go see the University of Missouri and, 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 and the Aggies play our Missouri Tigers, my Missouri Tigers, his Missouri Tigers, uh, got, got a W for that game. But, um, uh, he was a character and kind of an ego, a little bit, a little bit difficult to deal with at times. Um, last I saw, according to LinkedIn for the last few years, he had been an executive producer for celebrity wife's wife swap out in Hollywood, which is kind of fitting for him. But, you know, we had some interesting times. We went to Vegas. The first trip that I ever took to Vegas, we, we go to see George Carlin at Bally's. And that was uh, quite a big deal because we, we, we walk in and he had bought the tickets, but it was one of these where we didn't know where we were going to be sitting. And we ended up on a table next to the stage, not by his doing. I think somehow they threw us out in one of those dinner style seatings and my arm was up on my elbow was up on the stage as George Carlin was doing his deal. And, you know, he, he never let me forget the fact that he got me those good tickets for uh, Carlin. We went to Mardi Gras together. Um, we were at Mardi Gras back in the late 90s when Jerry Springer was one of the lead guys on the on one of the uh, big floats at the big Endemian parade. I think it was called uh, right before a couple of days before Mardi Gras ends and the whole crowd's yelling. Uh, Springer, Springer, <laughs> this is not for George Springer, but for Jerry Springer, uh, as he's coming down the street at us at Mardi Gras. So just a, 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 a lot of great memories that I got with that guy. He was a character. Um, I, I tell people like, yeah, I don't know if I miss him as a friend because he could be a little bit difficult. And he, like I said, he he thought highly of himself, but he it was always an adventure going out with him. And uh, his name is Mark Teague. And uh, sad to hear that that he's gone way, way, way too soon. But uh, anyway, uh, uh, Sean, uh, what do you think? Do you want to do something uh, this week before Thanksgiving? Do, do we have a show in us to like what we can be thankful for in Houston sports outside of the Astros? <laughs> I think it's a really good topic for a show. Things to be thankful for as a Houston sports fan. And maybe, you know, a little spin on it. One year from now, what could we be thankful for? as a Houston sports fan, you know, yes. sometimes you got to go through the rough times to get to the good times. And I think we might look back on this one and uh, a year from now, we might be pretty satisfied with the way things have turned out. We're going to try to make these post games fun, as fun as we can the rest of the way. 
Um, if, hopefully I can keep Sean engaged for a few more weeks. If, if he, if he yes, can keep, stay awake for these games, hey, I'm here. I'm here for it, man. I mean, I get to come to an NFL football stadium, you know, on these home games and watch, watch a game and talk some ball. I don't care how bad it is, how good it is. I'm just glad to be able to do it. So you got me for as long as you need me, as long as you'll have me. Sounds good, man. Well, another rough one for the Texans. Oh my goodness. The, we're going to do it again next week. Next Sunday is keeps, keeps going. Uh, Deshaun's coming up. So at least that, that might be a little fun. Patrick Mahomes is coming up. You know, you get to see the best quarterback in the NFL. One of the great quarterbacks I, of all time. I will not be going into the locker room when the Browns come into town. I'm not going to experience that circus. So um, I have to go to the Texans locker room. So one, any, <laughs> it's going to come from a Texans perspective. You're not going to go into the to see Deshaun another, or well, he's going to be at a podium. I'm He'll sure be at a podium, and I'm not going in there for that mess either. All Trying right, well, to get a word in Edgewise in that situation, not going to happen for myself. I'll I'll get you all the Texan stuff you possibly want, all the trash talk info that I get from those guys from Deshaun. I'll get you, but I'm not going to go talk to that dude. All right, hey, and one more time, do not forget, we're going to have this uh, draft expert. I've already recorded it. It's a guarantee. It's coming out tomorrow. We're going to talk about Bryce Young, the quarterbacks, all of that. It's in the can. It's coming. It's definitely worth a listen. This is we're talking about the future that if we're going to get out of this mess, this is a big one. This is a big one. You guys know this. So uh, for Sean Bajani, Sports Radio 610, I'm Robert Land. We'll catch you next time. Take care, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.